Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 754 with Barry Nailbuff. Barry has got an excellent perspective on negotiation, whether you're doing that formally or informally, every day in all kinds of little exchanges, so that you can get a whole lot more and everyone gets a fair share and it gets to be collaborative and fun and cool instead of, I'm going to take you for all your worth, sucker. <laughs> so you'll learn one, three questions to make any negotiation easier. Two, the two key words to avoid and to embrace. And three, the popular negotiation tactic that can actually break trust. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we mentioned here, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP754 and check out some of our goodies like every episode tagged by the topic and competency covered or search through the full text transcripts of all 754 of these episodes. A lot of goodies for you at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's the scoop on Barry. Barry Nailbuff is the Milton Steinbach professor at Yale School of Management, where he has taught for over 30 years. He's an expert on game theory and has written extensively on its application to business strategy. His bestsellers include Thinking Strategically, The Art of Strategy, and Mission in a Bottle. He advised the NBA in their prior negotiations with the Players Association and several firms in major M&A transactions. Barry has been teaching this negotiation method at Yale in the NBA core and online at Coursera. His introduction negotiation course has over 350,000 learners and a 4.9 rating. He is a serial entrepreneur, ventures including Honest Tea, Kombrucha, and Choose Health. He's a graduate of MIT, a Rhodes Scholar, and a junior fellow at the Harvard Society of Fellows, and he earned his doctorate at Oxford. Big thanks to Barry for sharing his wisdom with us. Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Barry. Barry, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. It's awesome to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk about some of the wisdom from your book, Split the Pie, A Radical New Way to Negotiate. At first, I want to hear a cool story to the extent that you're at liberty to share from your involvement in the NBA negotiations. Uh, so I'm not really at liberty to share, <laughs> but I will say that what I enjoy is the negotiation part as opposed to, I'm not a giant sports fan. Uh -huh. And so I was probably at times the only person in the room who didn't recognize all the other people uh, in, in the room. I am guilty of that as well. Like, wait, who's in the Super Bowl again? <laughs> you know, when it comes to sports and, and general awareness. Yeah, well, in some ways that might have helped you keep your cool. 
Like you weren't intimidated. Like, whoa, these superstars. You're just like, okay, hey, let's see what makes sense for everybody. <laughs> the most intimidating factor was they had really great custom suits. Uh, because, of course, none of these folks can wear off the shelf anyway. And they did look sharp, I got to say. Did you ask where they got them? I did not. Uh... <laughs> I got a custom-made suit to my measurements in Shanghai. And it, I just I wore it until it was just about tattered. But I also don't fit anymore because that was when I was 20. <laughs> Bodies have a way of changing over time. Cool. All right. Well, so we're talking negotiation. If you think back on your research and career, is there a particularly surprising or counterintuitive or extra fascinating discovery you've made along the way? I think so. So let me start with what it's like to teach negotiation. All right. Because my students at Yale, they are smart. They are empathetic. They care about the world. I love them as people until they start negotiating. <laughs> and then many of them become like jerks. Just because they think that's the game they're supposed to be playing or, or, or what's behind that? So I don't know. It's a little bit of they read in some novel about this tough negotiator person <laughs> who makes ultimatums. Uh, they're scared. They think they're in a police procedural where somebody's read them the Miranda rights. Anything they say can and will be used against them. And so they throw out all of their IQ, all of their empathy, all goes out the window. Moreover, they're not good at being jerks. They're not naturally jerks. And so they perform terribly in these negotiations. Okay. Well, that's a great takeaway right there. <laughs> yeah. And so that to me is a surprise is why do people who, so people ask me all the time, like, how do I negotiate with jerks? And one of my responses is, don't you be the jerk that other people have to write to me about. Okay. And understand the other person has a mother who loves them. And maybe they aren't really actually a jerk. They're just don't know any better in terms of how to negotiate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're, you're bringing back some, some memories to uh, when, we, when we were closing on a house and the, and the lawyers. <laughs> it's like they, they made things so intense. <laughs> no offense to the lawyers listening. I know they're not all that way. But it's like, man, can we just like talk about what our concerns are and just see if we can figure something out. We're getting very accusative over here. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, so your book, Split the Pie, tell us what's the big idea behind it and, and what is this radical new way to negotiate in your subtitle? So truth be told, it's not new. Okay. It's 2,000 years old uh, in the sense that it comes from the Talmud. It comes from this idea of the principle of the divided cloth. But I think if an idea has been lost for 2,000 years and you bring it back, maybe you can call it new. So okay. I, I'm hoping that's okay. We'll let it count. Yeah. The big idea is this funny notion that people don't generally understand what it is they're negotiating over. Hmm. And as a result, because they're confused, they make arguments that don't really make sense. They make proposals about fairness that are based on where they sit, but aren't really truly fair. So they throw around the fair word in ways that aren't appropriate. They're confused about what power is. And actually, that's one of the reasons why people end up acting like jerks. Mm -hmm. Well, And so then, imagine, Barry, is it fair to say that each of these dimensions is, is fairly unique, uh, negotiation by negotiation, or are there some universals here? Like, what people really want is this. 
So we're jumping ahead a little bit and uh, happy to do it in, in life. I want to give the other side what it is they want, not because I like them, not because I'm just generous or a pushover, but if they get what they want, then I can get what I want. Yeah. Got some Zig Ziglar in there. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I also want them to give me what I want so that I can then want to do the deal as well. Yeah. Again, the universal point that's, I think, the surprise, or though perhaps not so much in hindsight, is to understand why we're having this negotiation. What's the value we can create through an agreement? And once you recognize that, you recognize symmetry that is otherwise not apparent. Hmm. That's intriguing. Can you elaborate with an example? Sure. My mother was living in a rental house in Florida where she'd lived for the last 10 years. Okay. And the Florida real estate market has been heating up and her landlord decided to put the house on the market for sale. Mm -hmm. Now, he thought, he said, I, he wrote to her an email saying something like, uh, I'm planning on listing this house for 800000 I'd be delighted to sell it to you at $10,000 discount, seven ninety. Are you interested? And she is interested. She likes living there. She doesn't want to move. But of course, that's not really what the negotiation is about. So what are the real reasons why it makes sense for her to do this transaction with him? And I appreciate I'm flipping the cards a little bit by mm -hmm. turning the question to you, but let's give it a shot. Well, you know, I'm actually in a similar situation. We moved to Tennessee, and so we're renting in the first year. And, and it sounds like the landlord may be looking to sell. Mm-hmm. Or may not. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I could relate. So, but, but one thing that's big is like, we don't want to move. Moving is a pain. <laughs> Moving is a pain. So yeah, my stuff is here. I've set it up the way I want it. Yeah. So, and then to just like go through the, the shopping round and the searching and then the, Great. all that stuff. Yeah. So moving is a pain for you. It's both time consuming and costly. Mm -hmm. It's more so for my 88 year old mother. Oh yeah. At the same time, fixing up the place is a pain for him. Because right. she doesn't care about the stains on the carpet or the walls that are perhaps a little bit more yellowing, maybe. Mm -hmm. the, the paint isn't as white as it was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. The appliance is a little outdated. Yeah. All those things she's learned to live with. And all the showings. He's got, he's got plenty of hassle as well. Yeah. But there's something else that's even bigger factor, which is there's no real estate agent commission. There's no 5% that needs to be paid. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. And on this $800,000 sale, that's about $40,000. Mm -hmm. And he's just offered her 10,000 of that. Yeah, how generous. <laughs> and so my response is, I think this negotiation is really over $40,000. It's not actually over the price of the house. It's over how much we're going to each save of the real estate agent commission. If you sell this house to somebody else for 800, you're going to clear 760. If my mother buys this house from some, uh, a similar house in the market, she's going to have to pay eight hundred. Mm -hmm. So it's a forty thousand dollar gain that can be created by the two of them doing a transaction with each other. Yeah. So he says, "Well, look, it's a hot market, and therefore I should get more of the gain." Oh. And my view is the fact that it's a hot market means the price is high. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that he's entitled to more of that forty thousand. Yes, I like this. That he needs her to make this purchase to save that 40000 to avoid the real estate agent just as much as she needs him to be the person who she buys from. So I say they should split it 20000 20000 mm -hmm. And 
that she's prepared to pay market price for the house. Yeah. So if you're willing to sell this at $20,000 below market price, you'll be $20,000 ahead and will be $20,000 ahead. Yeah. And so he gives a tentative yes to that. And fortunately, there were five other sales on that street in the last six months. So we can look at the price per square foot on exterior space, interior space, do the adjustment for the size of the house, came up with a number, 763, 492, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Subtracted 20,000, and we were done. That's good. And what it does is turn negotiation into a collaboration and a data exercise, as opposed to an argument. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. And so I guess what feels radical there is, so we're splitting a pie, but the pie Mm -hmm. we've defined very precisely as the $40,000 savings that we uniquely have the opportunity to do. Because I know the house, I've lived in the house as tenant, and we don't have to do all the shopping around. So so that's the pie that we're splitting, as Uh opposed to simply splitting the difference, which would be a very different concept. Yeah, completely. So let's be clear. There's, uh, you mentioned one part of the pie, which is knowing the house, not having to move. Mm-hmm. There's also him not having to fix things up. Yeah, and show it. And there's the $40,000 real estate agent commission. Yes. All three of those things are the pie. And what we did is we said her not having to move and him not having to fix things up ends up being a wash. Sure. So we call those two things to cancel and we call the rest, the 40000 what it is that we split. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And then having reached an agreement to do that, it was, well, okay, we have to hire a lawyer. Rather than each of us hire separate lawyers, it's going to be a simple deal. Let's just hire one lawyer between the two of us and split the cost of that. Mm. And so we each saved another thousand dollars in the process. Okay. Yeah. Wow. You know, it has has never occurred to me because I just think of like lawyers and adversarial stuff (laughs) is that, well, if, the lawyer's getting paid by both clients, mm-hmm. then their incentives are, they're not more loyal to one than the other. Yeah, so uh, that works fine. Basically, huh. said, look, just split things. You know, we want the fair solution. We want the down the road, down the middle answer. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's all good. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, and this also suggests a different way of negotiating, which is don't start by talking about price. Don't even start by talking about interest. Start by discussing how it is you're going to negotiate. Okay. And in particular, say, you know, I read this book. I listened to this awesome podcast on how to be awesome. And my awesome new way of negotiating (laughs) is to discuss, can we agree to create this large pie and split it? Mm -hmm. Because if we can agree on that, then from now on, all of my interest, all of my focus is going to be on making a big pie. I don't have to worry about watching my back. Yeah, that's cool. So that's one of the first things you say is just, this is, let's talk about how we're going to negotiate. I'd like to take this kind of an approach. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Just like that? Is that how you'd recommend wording it? Yeah. Well, some people may find that a little bit too straightforward. Mm -hmm. And so you can always try the humor approach, which is, what do you say? We each act like jerks, lie to each other, try and take as much (laughs) advantage of each other as possible. (laughs) And when the person says, uh, I'm not so keen about that, say, me neither. I got this other idea that's a much better way of doing it. Okay. So you could have a little bit of throat clearing, talking about the weather, have a little fun with sort of the uh, why you don't like the traditional approach, mm-hmm. and then ease your way into split the pie. Okay, cool. 
Also, I know you've also got a, a boatload of tactics and I want to dig into a few of these, but maybe before we do that, I want to address some of the, the emotional elements mm-hmm. when it comes to negotiation. Many of us have a fear associated with asking for more or am I allowed to negotiate? <laughs> you know, and so I'd love to get your your take on that is how do we address the, maybe it's a mindset or a fear associated with, ooh, I'm just not really comfortable pushing the envelope, asking for too much, don't want to seem pushy or needy or greedy. How do you address that? Well, first, let me say that a lot has been written about emotions in negotiation. And if you'd like, I am adding a little bit of Mr. Spock. Uh, I'm trying to bring a little bit of logic to bear. And one of the things that's good about bringing logic to negotiation is it takes down the temperature. One of the other lessons we talk about in the book is fight fire with water. Don't fight fire with fire. Uh And to the extent you can add a principled approach to negotiation, it brings down the temperature. You've created a notion of fairness that's objective in terms of splitting the pie. It doesn't depend on which side you're on. And therefore, it makes it easier because we're not actually fighting anymore over how we're going to divide the pie. We've agreed on that. Instead, what we're working on is cooperative in terms of how to make the pie bigger. So that's a sense in which it's easier to do this because essentially I'm asking for things now that are going to work for both of us. I'm going to try and make that pie as big as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. That makes good sense. Well, then maybe let's talk about the application of that in terms of, let's say someone, they got a job offer Mm -hmm. and they say, okay, this is pretty nice. Yeah. But I've heard on the podcast I'm supposed to negotiate, but I feel a little weird about that. Mm-hmm. If we get all logical and talk about uh, making the pie as big as possible and splitting it, that's one way to to tackle that. Yeah. How would you apply this this principle? We heard about it in a house. How would we apply it in, uh, say, a job offer situation? Let's also take a step back. Oftentimes, when you're interviewing for a new job and they've given you a position, The negotiation over your salary is really the first time they're getting to know you. Mm -hmm. It's the first confrontational or challenging conversation you may have had. And so appreciate that how you go about this negotiation is really going to be a a first impression, if you'd like. Okay. Now, one point to make is, uh, look, I'm negotiating for this job because guess what? One of my jobs is to negotiate for the company. Mm -hmm. And if I can't negotiate for myself, how am I possibly going to negotiate for you? Yeah, I like that. That argument works pretty well if you're in sales or marketing, perhaps a little less well if you're in accounting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So (laughs) it may depend uh, on your different position. And then it can be either, I think I'm going to be awesome at this, and I'm pretty sure you're going to agree. Can we talk about what type of bonuses are available and how we're going to measure them? how you calculated in the past, so that if I am as awesome as I expect to be and you expect me to be, what type of rewards are likely to follow? Mm -hmm. And people in general are not scared of or afraid to give you that type of information. They may say, we haven't figured out the bonus pool for this year. And you can say, fine, let me understand the bonus pool for last year. And what are the metrics by which bonuses are determined? Mm -hmm. Another a way of making the pie bigger is to understand what leads to the pie getting smaller. 
And people don't like to talk about failures, but failures actually help you here. So one of my favorite questions to ask is, can you tell me about cases where you've hired people who you thought were going to be awesome and turned out not to work? Oh, uh, yes. What went wrong? But that's a powerful question, Barry. I always ask that when I'm keynoting somewhere. Okay. It was like, who are some of the other speakers you've had? You don't have to name names if you're uncomfortable. What went really well and what was disappointing and why? Yeah. Because that just surfaces things that you never would have thought. Like, huh, okay. People really don't like that. Good to know. <laughs> and it does two things for you. One is it may say, oh, I am like that. And so this isn't going to work. So maybe this is the wrong gig for me. Wrong company, wrong keynote. Mm-hmm. Or you learn, you know what? I understand that. And that problem is not something that's an issue for me. Never arises for me. And that's why we're going to be extra great. And so therefore, it's a way of convincing the other side that, there's actually going to be a bigger pie yeah. by having you be their keynote speaker. That's true. It's like, no, don't, don't worry. I'm not going to try to sell you, <laughs> sell the audience on a, well, insert program. I'm not going to try to sell them on an epic coaching package or DVDs. I guess people aren't selling DVDs that much anymore. Maybe in little corners. What's a DVD? <laughs> Have you heard of a DVD, Barry? <laughs> They're coasters, I think. <laughs> All right. So, okay, cool. Well, then let's let's say we're we're in the midst of a, of a negotiation. Uh, what are some of the top do's and don'ts and, and tactics that you, you think people should be equipped with? One thing I suggest to people is not to say no unless and instead say yes if. I want the other side to go the extra mile for me. I want them to go above their head to head of HR to the managing director to somehow stretch themselves in terms of what they're going to do to bring me on board. Mm -hmm. The worst thing from their perspective is they do that. And I use this offer to get a higher salary where I currently am or in some other job I'm negotiating with. They don't want to be used as a stalking horse. Yeah. And so I want to give them the confidence that if they do what I'm asking them to do, my answer is yes. Mm. So that's a yes if rather than a no unless. That's good. I believe your colleague Dalian had a turn of phrase like, don't list deal breakers, list deal makers. Yeah. Like, boy, if you could do this for me, whew, I'm there. That's a yes on the spot. <laughs> exactly. I want to say yes. And these things will allow me to do it right now. Mm-hmm. And that just creates a nice uh, bit of excitement as well. We're trying to get to the same place. Yeah. It's like, ooh, if someone says that to you, it's like, ooh, I'm in the position to make your day and have this done at the same time. Ooh, what, yeah. what a burst of dopamine <laughs> all at once. Thank you. Can you share some examples of that in action? Well, one of the cases that we had in my own life was uh, a company I started with my former student, Seth Goldman, is Honest Tea, and we had a chance to sell that to Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. And- they had offered us something called a call, which is their right to buy the company at a specified price, but we didn't have a put. And the put is our ability to force them to buy it at that price. Mm-hmm. And we wanted that. The people we were negotiating with didn't have the authority to give that to us. Only the board of directors could do that. But the last thing this team wanted to do was go to the board, get that permission, and then discover there was some other request we were going to make, or the price wasn't high enough 
or that Pepsi was going to steal it from underneath them. Yeah. And so what we said is, if you do this, we are done, done, done. There is no other request. This is what we want. This will seal the deal. We're ready right now. We'll sign and you could go and have the board sign on the other side. And they took it to the board. The board said, yes, we were done, done, done. And the deal closed. That's cool. Beautiful. All right. So what else you got, Barry? <laughs> and the connected to that okay. is I'm not a big fan of saying no. Yeah. Now, I'm prepared to say no if what they're asking me to do is unethical, illegal. Okay. So let's take those things off the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But instead, I'm pre- it's back to the yes if. If you're willing to do this, then I'm prepared to say yes. Mm-hmm. So at one point, speaking of keynotes, somebody asked me to give a keynote speech in Seoul, Korea. Mm-hmm. And the timing could not have been worse. I was teaching on Monday and Wednesdays, which meant I would have to leave Monday night right after my class, fly halfway around the world, be in Korea for eight hours, take the next flight back in order to teach my Wednesday class. Yeah. I was going to be there for eight hours. Like, this does not make any sense. So I could have said no. Instead, I said, yes, if you're prepared to pay this somewhat crazy amount of money, (laughs) I don't think I'm worth it. But you know what? It's not for me to decide. (laughs) It's for you to decide. (laughs) Ultimately, they said yes. (laughs) I flew halfway around the world for six hours. I discovered if you do that, you don't get jet lag. So uh, it wasn't as bad as I quite thought. And my daughter learned this trick for me, uh, or this, not to call it a trick, tool, <laughs> when I suggested to her that I would like her to join the high school math team mm-hmm. on her list of 100 favorite things to do, that wasn't on the list. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, yes. She didn't say no to me. She said, yes, if. Mm-hmm. Yes, if we get a dog. <laughs> we got a dog. She joined the math team. It was not that uh, well-written contract because I got one year in the math team for 13 years of a dog. But it's all good. So uh, and another example. I love it. This reminds me of what I was talking with my wife. So we were in Chicago and she wanted to move. She's like, it's cold and there's potholes. And, you know, like, so she, she's listing these things. And I was like, oh, but all my friends are in Chicago area. I was like, oh. And, and so then I said, and I didn't even think it was going to happen because, you know, we've got two toddlers. And I said, well, I mean... I could see it working if I could, I don't know, fly once a month to, to see all my friends in, in Chicago. And she just said, yes, immediately. And I was, I was surprised. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, just so we're clear, like three days a month, I will just disappear gallivanting around with my buddies while you are single-handed <laughs> with two toddlers. You prefer that. <laughs> mm-hmm. In another place, you know, that's, that's warmer and, you know, maybe near your family. Maybe she likes having you away for three days a month. (laughs) Maybe she does. And so, but I think what's one of the powerful pieces to that is, is you may well be surprised. Like you think I'm like you said, you asked for an absurd amount of money. You're like, there is no way anyone's going to go for this. They can surprise you. I can't justify it, but you know, it's not for me to say no. Yeah. Let them say no. And that is good. uh, What does it take for you to say yes? And then. Mm -hmm. Then we say people have said no to me in those circumstances. Right. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But there's no real advantage of my saying no, because if I say no, we end up with no deal. Mm-hmm. In which case, I have nothing to lose by doing my yes if. Yeah. Because the worst I end up with is the same place. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked the way you 
Did you actually say that to the folks in South Korea? I don't think I'm worth it, but this is up to you to decide. I said that exactly. Okay, because because that's great. Because I've I've been in that position a few times where folks have asked me to do a workshop or whatever, and I was like, "Wow, for this to actually be worth my while, given all I got going on, it really need to be an outrageous sum of money." But I kind of feel like a jerk even mm-hmm. putting that forward. But that nice little line there, Barry, is golden, and because it's like, no, I don't think I'm worth whatever, 30 grand for this. I can't say I'm worth it yet. But that's what I would will need to do it. <laughs> so it's up to you. But if you feel like it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. it works with your budget because of the time scale and schedule and so on, you know, I'm there. Yeah. So, and sometimes it's true. It's like they, they have a, sometimes folks have a huge budget and, and they just want it to be done maybe desperately. I've hired DJs mm-hmm. at all price points from zero dollars to, to many thousands. And it's, now, in some ways, they're doing pretty similar stuff. They're playing music over audio-video equipment for people to dance to, mm-hmm. not to insult the DJs, because I know there's artistry and, and expertise and a craft to it. But it's kind of wild how sometimes that budget really just is there. Mm-hmm. So go, go for it. All right, Barry, this is good stuff. Get some more treats for us like this? Sure. One of the things that I'm a, a big believer in is don't go crazy with your attempt to anchor somebody. All right. Don't start off with a super high number if it's an ask or a super low number uh, if it's your offer. There's a whole branch of economics called behavioral economics, which talks about the power of anchoring, the first number somebody hears. And this goes back to research done by Danny Kahneman and Amos Tversky, where they asked people, how many African countries are there in the United Nations? Mm-hmm. And if you first ask them, is it above or below 12 or above or below 80, what they end up thinking changes radically between those two cases. Yeah. The problem with anchoring negotiation is twofold. One, if I offer you a miserably low number for your business, your car, your whatever, your job, the person thinks I'm trying to take advantage of them. Yeah. And therefore, they don't want to work with me. They don't like me. And that's a big problem. And if they say, how did you come up with that number? And my answer is, well, I read in this book that anchoring, that yeah. softening somebody up was a really good idea. That's not a great justification. Right. Mm-hmm. The second problem is that it forces you to make giant movements. So you offer somebody $2,000 for the car, and they say, you know, CarMax is willing to buy it for me for seven thousand two hundred. You say, okay, seven thousand five hundred. It's like, wait a second, you just offered me two. Now you're up to seventy five hundred. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I say, look, I think the right number is nine thousand. You say seventy five hundred is the largest I can pay. It's like you just made us a, a five thousand dollar movement. What do you mean that's the last thing you can do? So mm-hmm. if you start by trying to anchor at a number that's far away. You both insult the other side, and you show that you're like jelly, that you have no principles in terms of what you're doing. And therefore, you have constant, you will be flexible. You will be like Gumby. That's true. And I'd also imagine that, uh, think about the African countries in the UN example. Like if we were to ask, is it, is it more or less than 5,000? Yeah. It's like that question is so nutty. I don't know the psychology behind it. For sh- Studies have been done here. I've had, you'd let me know, Barry. Like I'd say... That 
number is so nutty, it doesn't even factor it. It doesn't even sway me. It's like, huh. Actually, the crazy thing is that when people ask whether Einstein first came to the United States before or after 1412, (laughs) the year of the Magna Carta or something, it's like, it turns out that has an impact, which is just insane, Okay, uh, versus whether or not came to the United States before or after 1990. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, I don't know, the year of Beastie Boys or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's even absurd anchors can actually have this impact. But the insulting feature, like when Trump negotiated with President Nieto of Mexico uh, and said, you're going to pay for the whole wall, the Mexican president canceled his visit to the United States. Because he was insulted by it, he didn't even want to begin the negotiation. Mm -hmm. So anchoring is different in negotiation because it sends a signal to the other side. Right. That's good. Well, could you give us a third tidbit, Barry, that leaps to mind? Sure. I think that people are too afraid of revealing information, that they try and keep things hidden. So I'll turn the tables with you a little bit on this one. Okay. I'm afraid to reveal information, Barry. Yeah. Alice and Bob are negotiating, and Friday is the deadline for both of them. If they don't reach an agreement by Friday at 5 p.m., there is no deal to be done. Mm -hmm. However, Bob has a secret deadline of Wednesday at 5. Bob knows this. Alice does not. Should Bob reveal that deadline to Alice? Oof. Yeah, oomph. I see pros and cons, but I, I'm leading to, I almost think you have to, if Alice is just going to slow play it and just be like, okay, yeah, I'll think about that. I don't know if like you're in the same room or building or whatever, but if you're like emailing and calling back and forth and you know, Good. it's Wednesday at 2 PM and Alice is like, oh, thanks, Bob. I'll, I'll think this over tonight. Yeah. And Bob's like, oh no, you can't. I mean, that, that seems like a really dangerous place to be. So I, I'm inclined to Great. share it. At some point, maybe not at the very beginning, but but some point before, you know, Wednesday, 4 p.m., Alice probably needs to be made aware of that. Yeah, I loved your Alice voice there. <laughs> so I'm totally with you on this, which is, what is Alice's deadline? It isn't Friday at 5, it's Wednesday at 5. That's her true deadline, yeah. That's her true deadline, except she doesn't know it, because Alice's deadline is the same as Bob's deadline. Mm-hmm. And so I think Bob should say right up front, you know, Alice, I've got some bad news for you that I really have to be done by Wednesday at five, which means you have to be done by Wednesday at five. So let's stop screwing around and get cracking. (laughs) And that people think, oh my God, this is bad news. Therefore, I can't reveal it. I have to somehow keep it hidden. It's going to put me in a weak position because I've got this earlier deadline. Mm -hmm. It actually only puts you in a weak position if you keep it hidden. And people have this whole view of uh, like I said, the Miranda rights, anything you say can and will be used against you. So they either keep silent or they tell white lies, but they don't reveal things that are essential to having this agreement happen. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. Barry, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I'm not a giant fan of verbal jujitsu, but here's one that I think is helpful. Asking somebody where they are least flexible as opposed to asking them where they are most flexible. Mm -hmm. So if uh, you're negotiating a job and you're thinking about, well, there's wages, there's bonuses, there's equity, saying where you're most flexible, the person doesn't really want to answer that question for you. It's scary. Why why would I tell you that? (laughs) I don't want to tell you that. Mm -hmm. If I ask you, where are you least flexible? They're happy to tell you that. That's fair. I can't dilute the equity any farther 
we've got a lot of people with their hands in the in the cookie jar. I can't dilute the equity any more than this. Yeah. So I'm least flexible there. So it basically that it they are pleased to be able to tell you about something which is something they don't they don't have a power to give you. Mm-hmm. Now, when they say they are least flexible on this, what is it telling you? They're more flexible in everything else. Yeah. And therefore, you've learned where they're flexible by asking them where they are least flexible. Mm-hmm. So you get the information in a much safer, friendlier environment. That's cool. All right. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? I'm a, a big fan of uh, often wrong, never in doubt. <laughs> so essentially having some confidence in what you're doing, but also realizing that maybe you're not correct. And so both looking for evidence that's proving yourself wrong, but uh, not second guessing yourself all along the way. Mm-hmm. And can you share a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Well, we did an experiment on the pie where we gave parties who were traditionally viewed as less powerful some information about what the pie was in the negotiation. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, telling them in the house case, hey, there's this $40,000 real estate commission. And it turns out that doing so moved people dramatically away from proportional division into splitting the pie. Mm-hmm. And so what was remarkable is we didn't even have to give both sides this information. Giving what was traditionally viewed as the weaker side information about the pie allowed them to persuade the other side. So if you go back, there was this famous experiment by Ellen Langer about Xerox machines and asking people, can I jump in line and make a copy? And what she found is that asking with a reason beat just asking. And the pie is a great reason. It's a principled approach, and it really is able to move the other side. Mm -hmm. And could you share a favorite book? I'm a big fan uh, of biographies. I'm currently reading the biography of Ulysses S. Grant uh, by Ron Chernow, and it is fantastic. I just I had no idea in the end uh, what a remarkable leader uh, Grant was in such challenging times. This is a man who had failed at just about everything he had done until he succeeded at everything he did. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? Well, you know, I have to say, uh, this Yeti blue microphone oh, yeah? is definitely making my life a whole lot easier these days. And so I'm a big fan of the various ways. I mean, I've got ring lights. I, I've been doing so much teaching online mm-hmm. and the combination of having a big screen, ring lights, Yetis. Actually, it's great. I can see chats. I can have my students all ask questions that are better than having people raise their hands because now I can have 20 people asking things at the same time, not just one. Mm-hmm. So. This online teaching stuff is actually pretty good. So Zoom, Yeti, ring lights, bring them on. All right. And a favorite habit? I think we should have addictions in life that are healthy mm. addictions as opposed to bad addictions. Okay. And my healthy addiction is table tennis. Okay. Is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks that quote back to you often? Well, as an entrepreneur, I spend a lot of time trying to convince people not to go into entrepreneurship. Okay. And partly is, if I can convince you not to do it, then you shouldn't be doing it because <laughs> you have to have so much of a passion, so much of a belief. There are going to be so many obstacles along the way that it has to be a force is propelling you. You have to really care about what it is that you're trying to create. And it's not something you just go into lightly. So 
Therefore, real entrepreneurs don't need encouragement, if you'd like. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where should you point them? Splitthepiebook.com has uh, excerpts, uh, has some videos. They can watch negotiations. There's even a negotiation bot that you can play and see how well you do in an ultimatum game. There's a free online course on Coursera. It has over 400,000 people who've taken it. Uh, Actually, no, are taking it now. 4.9 4.9 out of 5 ratings, so it doesn't get much better than that. Mm-hmm. And of course, the book, Split the Pie, which is available everywhere. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Figure out what it's going to take to make the pie bigger, not just figure out what it is that you're going to do to get more of the pie. And to the extent that you're known as a person who is out there creating large pies, everyone's going to want to work with you. Mm-hmm. Barry, this has been fun. I wish you many large pies. I wish you gigantic pies. And thank you for helping bake one with me today. I'm such a fan of Barry's whole idea there in terms of if you can get some agreement up front. I was like, hey, why don't we just collaborate to make this pie as big as possible and then split it evenly? That just sounds like it feels good. I would love for someone to come in and say that to me. That would be really cool. So... And then it kind of transforms the whole vibe away from I am going to dominate and defeat you to, okay, let's let's work together, see what we can do here. Really cool stuff from Barry on that point. I also love that turn of a phrase in terms of just if it's going to take something ridiculous for you to say yes, go ahead, maybe share that instead of just saying no. It's like, but honestly, in order for that to work for me, I'm going to need $11 billion <laughs> or, or whatever huge sum of money or time or effort or thing that is required, that might seem crazy to you, but then you may just be surprised at just how motivated someone on the other side is to be like, you know what? That is a lot more than I was expecting, but I still think it's my best option. So let's do this thing. All right. And it is more fun to say yes than to say no. And you might get some happy surprises, whether a huge payday to go to Korea or some other cool benefits. And while also remaining humble, like, hey, it's not that I think I'm worth this, but just like, this is what it's going to take. I don't think I'm worth it, but hey, it's your call. Cool words from Barry. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to item that we reference, you can find them all at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP754. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, Check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.